0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Accelerator Insider, where we explore the minds behind accelerators, incubators, and venture studios. We interview innovation leaders to learn how they build businesses for today and the future. And I'm really excited uh, to have another Los Angeles uh, person here on the call today, uh, Alessandro Martoni, um, director of M Accelerator. Um, So thank you so much, Alessandro, for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Dominique, and thank you. Thanks everybody for listening and con- joining uh, this morning.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so, um, and so, first, I just want to start with like something very simple. Um, yeah. The M, so it's M accelerator. What does the M stand for? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's uh, that's a good question, and um, yeah, but it's very simple. Uh, Several years ago, when I thought about the name of what I was building, I just follow what it was uh, kind of a trend in those years, like uh, when it was 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. So larger companies were coming up with their own accelerators and they were just picking their own bigger name, like uh, mm-hmm. Disney, they were like yeah. D, and then accelerator. And I had done the same just because of I didn't want to waste any time in, uh, you know, finding a, a name, and I, I'm really picky with a lot of things. So I said, okay, let's go for an easy choice. So M stands for Meteors, which is my first company here in, in the U.S. And actually as the same company of a non-profit organization that are run in Italy, but uh, it's, it stands for Meteors. So the, the full name is Meteors Accelerator.
0: And what does Meteors, uh, it's M-E-D-I-A-R-S, Yes. What does not. that stand for?
1: So, um, Medias. Um, uh, when I built when I built this nonprofit in Italy, it was uh, um, interactive. It's a it's an experimental center for interactive media uh, performance and uh, um, and the arts. And uh, it's a strongly connected to culture and technology and the uh, and the local ecosystem. Um, we decide to do a project, for example. So uh, and then after many, many years, I almost forgot the all the full extended name and I just called mm-hmm. it Mediars, which is this uh, mix between media and ours uh, from Latin.
0: <laughs> do you think that that, does that show up in the current accelerator today? Is that like a red thread or really, really just more of a, just a connection at
1: the time. Yeah, it's, it's definitely there. It's our approach, essentially. Um, it's our, um, if I if I if I may, it's our cultural approach. So many years ago, when I started uh, working with the with the nonprofit uh, in Italy, we were um, uh, picking. We were coming. We came up with this format: very short um, uh, workshops which today I may call them, now with the experience that I have now, I may call the, uh, those those experiments uh, very short accelerator programs. And they were only for two weeks and uh, we were calling people from pretty much everywhere. At the beginning, I remember it was, they were primarily it probably students from UCLA, but then it became pretty much participants from everywhere, from uh, even China, Singapore, South um, the Korea, Korea, Europe. And uh, for me, it was an opportunity to spend a few more weeks uh, back home in Italy during my summer, because I was yeah. the whole year here, and then I said, let's come up with an Italian project. And in uh, and, and those two weeks, we were going in small, mid-sized towns in Italy, discovering and learning about the local culture and the local economy. And then the participants of the, the students of these workshops were uh, creating uh, pretty much what I, I would call a creative work. And every year it was a different framework. Um, we did uh, video production. We did interactive installations. We did video projections. And um, um, and we did even a project, a larger project with Google, at uh, the Coliseum. So very multimedia projects, but everything in two weeks. And then at the end, the last day, there was even a public presentation. So we were uh, showing the results and usually the results when you're building something, like an interactive installation it's something that has to work something that required some coding software yeah. some electronics so it was very two weeks very intense and uh and we were showing a, a new concept of you know uh, a media work uh with a lot of technology often
0: wow and so for so the accelerator so they- Okay. Uh, so the me. combination
1: between the, the, the uh, definitely an artistic approach, but there's a lot of design, a lot of, uh, let's say, local identity, local culture, and uh, local economy, uh, mm-hmm. plus technology.
0: And are you seeing that show up in your participants of your program, that they have a similar ethos or belief, or is it really just a widespread of companies who are looking for support?
1: But uh, those programs, uh, which right now I'm not running, the ones in Italy, um, um, definitely had uh, def- definitely had a, um, an audience that was interested in uh, multidisciplinary uh, projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, fa- to be a founder, you have to be a little bit like that. You have to be, you have to have a lot of empathy. You have mm-hmm. to really understand something that you really deeply care about it, like the problems that these founders are solving. And then, of course, you have to have a lot of other skills And uh, in terms of, for example, building a team around a concept, a problem you want to solve, uh, building, start building a, a solution, right, mm-hmm. and start communi- communicating your idea. And these are just to start the first uh, three elements. And uh, if, typically, if you're interested in... Uh, if you're a designer, interested in multimedia uh, concepts and projects, it's more likely that you have also a diverse background and uh, you're really aligned with uh, a founder a founder of M-Accelerator, I would say.
0: Hmm. And so are you, so if you look about your career, because you've done a lot of different things actually, and um, and so, um, and it's it's interesting, because you did this, you you know, your career is. Build a, a intersection of design and technology, and that probably has always always existed in 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 tech. Though we haven't really re honored it so much in the tech industry. Whereas now with AI, you're seeing these big installations at the, at the MoMA that are like art and tech, and you is very clear. And you know that. So can you just talk to me a little bit about you know back then? Uh, how did you go from one to the other? I saw that you were a computer science undergrad, and and then grad and then you went to design so did you always know you were trying to intersect the two or like how did that come about
1: um i I grew up in a very naive and um i don't know uncontrolled is the word that comes out (laughs) away so but fortunately i had a very strong passion on something Um, i had very strong passion in building technology and my first computer i was I don't know, uh, for uh, fourth grade, I built it out of paper just because I was so much in love with the Mac that I've seen, The one of the first Mac Macintosh mm-hmm. that I've seen in one of the offices uh, uh, in the building where I used to live in Rome. And um, I, I'm from a small town called Rieti, but I also spent a few years in Rome. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had this strong passion and... Um, and I started, I started learning uh, how to code uh, out of an instruction book with the Commodore 64. So I, have, I believe I have a strong background, a technical background because of that. And by the time I went to you know, high school, I knew what I wanted to study. Uh, university is the same. But I always, uh, with a very naive approach, had uh, some you know ideas about building something with these, a lot of design and building something that I was, for example, many in the early, in the late 80s, early 90s, I mean, nobody was talking about uh, building a user-friendly uh, UI, user interface, right? uh so I I had that those concepts and uh, also you know in Italy is growing up in a small town you really don't have a lot of opportunities to read about uh, the names that are you know later came started to become way more popular internationally um and so yeah it was it wasn't easy but uh, um you know if uh, I was guided by this very pure passion about uh, building technology and uh So my background is pretty technical, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, somehow when I ended up, uh, by the time I moved here, I already had a lot of projects. I um, I was running a software house that then became a web agency in my hometown, and at that time, in the mid-90s, it wasn't really difficult to find clients in uh, mid-sized towns in Italy, right? Actually, I was working for the government, I was working for uh, insurance companies and uh, and other many, many companies over there. And um, by the time I came here, I I discovered that here, actually, technology was not just a a solution, but also was uh, more like a tool was more like um, uh, something that could uh, be used to work in. I mean, uh, with culture, there was mm-hmm. a lot of culture about tech in California, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Coming from uh, yeah. previous decades. So and 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 I've seen a lot of um, interactive art, and then I said, "Oh, this is interesting. Here, it's actually a job. It's not just uh, something mm-hmm. that you do on your spare time." And uh, and then probably because of my ability of you know coding and developing and my passion into that, I I entered the, uh, acad- uh, the academic environment. Something that in Italy I would never, I never thought about it. But here I was really in, entrepreneurial, I would say, way more than Italy, even in the, uh, the academia. At the end of the day, I learned, uh, I applied what I was doing uh, in, in Italy here, which is, uh, you go out, you see a problem, uh, you start, um, I don't know, a gra- uh, you, you grant proposals or you start talking to corporations and you write, right, you pitch your ideas. Eventually they, you solve their problems, but you also get uh, some funding to run your research. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's how, and that's how I see it. That's why I'm saying it's, it's more like entrepreneurial academia here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took a couple of, um, uh, poses to work on startup projects, but then I came back and in total I was, uh, uh, USC, like I was a visiting scholar only for six months, but then I did 10 years at UCLA uh, in, in, two, in two
0: moments. Well, and I saw that, so <clears throat> you were a, na- a senior researcher for the National Science Foundation. So is when you are referencing like the grants and kind of your own research, was that was that kind of the merger of kind of your interests with something that was kind of burgeoning at the time? I mean, the topic was interesting. It was like future internet program, building automation, Cyber-physical systems, and I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, you know, from a decade ago. Um, so I'd love to know, like, first, let's start, like, with, like, what was that? What was that about?
1: What was that about? Right. Uh, so that was probably one of the largest projects I was involved in my years at UCLA. Um, and it was uh, it was our director, Jeff Burke, uh, remap inside the School of Theater, Film and Television. That's where I spent the 10 years, uh, which is a joint research center with the School of Engineering, um, again, uh, UCLA. And the, the project there, it's actually, we got awarded uh, to be one of the four uh NSF projects uh to build the future uh I would say internet protocol of -hmm. the future just because the internet protocol nowadays I'm not going to go into the details but it's not really optimized for the use that we are doing Uh, Mm -hmm. 50 years ago it was designed to do slightly different things right Mm -hmm. so we need to optimize that and uh uh, and uh our very large team I mean at the end it was uh, a group of including 10 campuses and we also build uh, test, tests, test beds, tests yep. with the European partners. So it was a very large project and it was about uh, designing and uh, building and deploying uh, a possible alternative to what today is called TCPIP for mm-hmm. uh, which is the internet protocol. So and in our, in my specific work, I was uh, working on it. it 10 years ago, right? <laughs> but in my specific work, I was uh, running a couple of uh, cases, use cases and um, uh, light interactive lighting, uh, uh, video streaming, and uh, especially in my field was building management system. And mm-hmm. actually, now that I'm mentioning that, I remember that this is my second experience at UCLA. And I came back bringing with me uh, the results of a project of a, Startup project that I've done probably between two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and two thousand eleven, and then just after that I came back at UCLA. I we mm-hmm. built um, a uh, it, it was called a Canary um, indicators. Mm-hmm. So these Canary indicators were like communicating uh, energy consumptions uh, in uh, buildings mm-hmm. through colors and lights so my interactive things to be exhibiting into the main hall of the buildings to spread awareness through visualizations to the visitors of the building or the occupants mm-hmm. of the building think about a commercial building or a building with a lot a lot of offices right
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, i have to say that at that time even though it sounds awkward it was too early <laughs> It was too early to start talking about clean tech, energy consumptions, and all of that. We yeah. struggled a lot to, to find the right audience. Then we actually uh, we took a shortcut and we sold. Uh, we got commissioned a prototype, and then we sold the the project and then mm-hmm. i brought that experience uh, back in the research which sounds sounds awkward because usually you do the opposite but this time <laughs> that's how it worked out and that's why i ended up working on uh, building management
0: systems uh, uh,
1: again in, in the research environment
0: well do you see a lot of the i mean the lineage of your work from there kind of showing up in the world today in terms of some of the ideas so for.
1: You may have familiar, I mean, you may remember, or you may know, you may have it at home. Nest. Uh, this was Google. Mm-hmm. Brought, Google bought it for several billions of dollars, and they brought it to the market in around 2011. So, like mm-hmm. several years after we thought about a similar idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, th- this technology it's already around now. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not exactly the same one, but yes, it, it, we have it in our homes and. Um, there's uh, more talking about today. We are more aware of the energy that our buildings are consuming, for example, mm-hmm. uh, because of um, things that we measure. Uh, specifically, to the research I was doing at UCLA, uh, not too not too long ago, my former director Jeff told me that uh, the NDN, which NDN, which is the mm-hmm. name of name data um, name data networking project, is actually deployed. Uh, in one, uh, large corporations here in California uh, as a solution to measure and optimize their um, a clean uh, it's a clean technology um, mm-hmm. in, in California so that it's it's uh, the level of uh, proof of concept I would say uh, and even probably a little bit more I'm not I don't know the details of this deploy mm-hmm. but it's definitely if it's a corporation is using it, it is definitely in the market and um it's 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 a deep it's uh, you know in the uh, startup ecosystem you will call it a deep tech approach so it takes really years before the technology is ready uh, to enter yeah. the market but yeah. yes i mean it's slowly is is getting there
0: yeah, yeah. i mean i mean it's it's interesting I, I think folks don't realize that things yeah you know. and I,
1: and i'm saying slowly because today i mean what we read on the news it's primarily about software startups right we're talking we're reading about ai we're reading about no code tools yeah. so we're building apps in days right things mm-hmm. like that so and instead if you're looking at the the other technologies uh, there are still some some great solutions that took uh, decades to be right. built think about quantum computing. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's been like 34 years that we're talking about that. I started I studied computer. I did um, a first uh, software with uh, ne- uh, AI, artificial intelligence. At that time, I was calling it ne- ne- neural networks yep. back in uh, ni- uh, when it was 19... 19- 1999, mm-hmm. uh, forecasting the stock market with yeah. a specific kind of neural network. So as being like also 50 years, almost 50 years of uh, AI now, but only now only now is coming to fruition in the magnitude that we all are becoming aware of.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I mean, you're spot on. I think it's folks are like the gestation period of, of, of building kind of, The the rails of the future is kind of how I think about it. You know, really, what those components are, and so um, I think a lot of folks are, you know, building on the layer one and two, right, on top of those core technologies. And then when you get to that consumer layer, you see this huge kind of, you know, ecosystem that comes up. It's like, oh yeah, everyone's now doing generative AI. You're like, well, it's actually been around for a very long time, (laughs) but I guess now everyone can participate. In, yeah,
1: and, and in this specific, and also uh, thanks to OpenAI, right? We, it's a, it's a, it's a debatable, but uh, thanks to them, now pretty much all the uh, world that uses internet today is kind of uh, aware of the, the not aware, but they have a, they have an understanding. They can use the word for sure. Now yeah. everybody knows that uh, uh, on the internet that uh, you know, generative AI can write, and oh, it seems even smarter than than <laughs> so somewhat well,
0: but uh it's uh yeah I mean well you well, even in climate for well I guess so this is a good question for you I think because you've done both and you seem very oriented toward kind of important things for culture and community you know you did a lot of stuff in climate um what do you think is the bigger pressing item do you think it's the AI and the technology singularity the privacy and all that or do you do we, or do you think climate is the harder challenge to solve for? We, you know, both are pretty challenging problems.
1: Yeah, and, and it's interesting the way we are articulating these questions, right? Because AI per se is not really a problem. It's uh, the way we're right, the way we are using it. Then uh, I, I believe that uh, governance is going to be the next, you know, thing that we have to address with AI uh by say by itself then of course if we're talking about climate tech and uh, clean tech uh, over there the words uh, well well define a uh, specific problem right i think that ai as a tool could be definitely very useful to work and solve problems uh, right for related to climate tech and uh, clean tech um, it, it's it's um scientists are saying that it's kind of Late already, but uh, I think that we there's no other options. I mean, we have to really focus and uh, and uh, look at these look at these problems. Um, in uh, growing up, I mean, at uh, school and uh, I don't know maybe because I'm getting old, but I, I go back and I think when I was when I went to my elementary middle school, but uh, we always we always had these projects about uh, saving the planet, about uh, uh, pollution, about um, and we were not, of course, calling it clean tech, but it's um, it's interesting from my point of view now because I'm running the accelerator and I'm in touch with a lot of governments uh, in the, internationally. And of course, I talked to a lot of founders that finally, even um, at the government levels, they are deciding to allocate uh, budgets and uh, to promote initiatives. Actually, M Accelerator, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to steer the conversation there, but M Accelerator just got awarded uh, to run the Clean Tech Innovation Desk for the Italian government here in the West Coast. So it, it's so strong, right? So that uh, also government are becoming aware and are putting resources down. Um, to let's say facilitate and uh, uh, orchestrate some um, let's say general directions for startups and create guidelines and structural approaches so that uh, even startups that needs they need a lot of help uh, they have guidelines to uh, to succeed in their scopes.
0: Yeah, well, that, I mean that's well. Actually, we can talk a little bit too about the <clears throat> program because you actually the program does m- many things. You have a couple of different programs um, and. You know, maybe the first question here is, how did you come to the decision for the programs that you actually have? Because you have workshops, and then you have a startup accelerator, and you have a founder program. So how did you end up with like this particular kit of, of solutions for the accelerator?
1: Yeah, um, it's um, it, one step. I did one step at a time, I guess. I mm-hmm. um, Actually, at uh, the beginning, a friend of mine told me, oh, Alessandro. You do all of these projects, right? Like we were talking about before. Um, Primarily, uh, it was in the entertainment event industry, I would say, theme parks, installations, and stuff like that. And uh, these are all, in some some industry, these are called special projects. And Mm -hmm. I I liked the work because I could say, what are you doing? I'm doing a special project. right?" (laughs) But it's it's just because a one off yeah <laughs> what is that <laughs> i'm doing it twice a year because that's what I mean. but special just because they are not a- under any any department right because mm-hmm. they are multidisciplinary so you talk to the marketing you talk to tech engineering stuff you talk to the uh, to the uh, also the, 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 the whatever what it was uh hr sometimes depends on the project so you work with so many different uh departments inside a company to build one of those installations and uh, and at the end i i started doing a course a program to teach others to do these projects Mm. and i did that for one and a half years and then i started seeing that we had founders of startups coming in this was before around 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. And and then I I noticed founders coming in and said, I mean, do you have a project you're building? Uh, No, we're a company building this technology. I said, okay, yeah, it it made sense right away because essentially that's what we were teaching them. We were teaching them how to communicate their Mm -hmm. problems, how to communicate, how to put together a pitch to Mm -hmm. get the funding for the project. Mm -hmm. And even sometimes even uh, tech advising and then, once basically, in 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 one year time, it became an accelerator. It wasn't anymore a program. So, mm-hmm. and uh, essentially, in every step we made, uh, the accelerator uh, came because uh, the let's say uh, the audience we were talking to was requiring some additional elements. So that's how that's how we built uh, so many programs. I would say. Now we have um, now we have a uh, for example uh, we call it founders cohorts. Mm-hmm. It's a program for companies and founders at the pre-product market feed, which it's mm-hmm. a very large, broad, you know, bucket. But essentially, as soon as you have a a decent idea of what is that you want to do and uh, you are putting together your pitch deck so you're trying to communicate your concept you're trying to understand who's your customer you're trying to build also an MVP so this is the program that we offer to the founders it's very early stage of course Mm -hmm. it's a it's a membership on our platform. And uh, I like it because it's uh, there's a lot of founders, very diverse in uh, um, uh, ethnicity, culture, but also in the scope of their projects, and uh, and for us helping founders at that stage, it's it's kind of uh, uh, not a lot of effort in in the sense that. Uh, uh, for example we have a very clear structure for uh, the way they should build a pitch deck and yeah. uh, we have, we have worked with thousands of founders so after that experience we work with also many many investors so we know how to we are investors ourselves so we know how to bridge the gap between when an idea comes in a concept that is not well formed well shaped we know what it needs to look like when it's going to be ready yeah. so we uh, with our we have a coaching approach, which is, you know, our unique this with uh, this uh, you, our unique value proposition. Our different, our, our we are different from other accelerators, and we are helping and guiding founders with with the clarity that they need, and so that together with them, uh, um, they, we find that uh, we help them uh, essentially shape uh, a more clear business concept. Uh, more clear business strategy, marketing strategy, and also the execution part of it. So, mm-hmm. and this is one of the programs. Then we have other programs for seed and pre seed stage, which are companies past the product market fit, uh, initial product market fit. So, which means that they're already talking to customers, they're acquiring some customers, for example. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to describe this program. In fact, I do a webinar, a monthly webinar, because, because then if I say we need customers to do seed and precede program, then somebody tells me, oh yeah, but we're, we've been working on this tech for three years. And so I realized that it's a different startup. It's a deep tech approach. Of course, they don't have customers. So, mm-hmm. it's, 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 so we have to articulate it in a different way. But uh, yeah, we also work with growth uh, later stage companies. Um, mm-hmm. Often uh, it's um, because of their go-to-market strategy. They're really pretty good and pretty successful in their own as a startup in their own country, for example, or in their own market. And they are ready to make a leap and uh, either come to the U.S. or maybe go somewhere else. And mm-hmm. uh, we help them. Uh, we help them with a the growth strategy. Mm-hmm. or with uh, improving their pitch deck. Uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, I would never guess, but founders, they always need help with their pitch decks, even if they are a BDC pre-IPO stage. And it's-
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and there's so much to dig in there because I think, I mean, for the sure on the pitch, because I think what folks don't always realize about the pitch deck is that the pitch deck is, is the process that a founder can use if if they understand that to clarify their thinking about the business model right and their approach to the business and so much of when you are investing in a company folks think "Oh, i have to pitch it's like well actually when you get to the later stages you're just having a conversation the deck is like a reference tool it's not really the thing but it's supposed to reflect that you have you know clear clarity of thought right and and i think founders don't really understand that that's the intention it's like it's a tool to build clarity um which i think would help um what help many folks I think across really the the world who are star founder trying to go into other markets that kind of if they understand that fundamentally yeah then it changes versus like what's the pitch deck what do they want to see? it's like no no what are you trying to tell people what's your logic model around the business that you're trying to at this moment of inflection that you're trying to create? Um, so I think that's sort of and, and so I, with that being said though how much of, the work that you're doing with right now is a lot of like market entry, like they're trying to get into the U.S. market, but they don't understand the U.S. market and they're wanting to kind of align themselves to that culture. Yeah,
1: that's that's. Um, so, well, yes, since uh, 2020, we are we're definitely online. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, in a way we were forced uh, but uh, we also were pl- I was also planning to go online and work with more internationally mm-hmm. and and uh, so since 2020 2021 we had, definitely have more companies of that uh, of the kind so companies there are interested in uh, uh, opening or extending expanding their presence in the US and um, and it the uh, Cultural aspect is definitely uh, fundamental, um, and it's, it's not. Uh, the, the, everything you said before it's 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 actually a great feat uh, for this one because um, the, in many countries may have different ways of presenting information, or they are accustomed to certain uh, styles or formalities. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead, let's say that definitely California allows us to be a little bit more casual with the tone, with the Mm -hmm. um, right. Uh, if, If I definitely everything is relative, right? We have to compare the way we act and we do business here to the way other people do in other, in other countries, right? I'm not saying that we are not formal. We are formal, mm-hmm. but compared to other countries, there are stringent formalities, and we are requirements that have to be uh, addressed. And those requirements sometimes force you to pitch for one hour. It doesn't make any sense right but still uh, in many countries they do that and when they come here we have to explain that uh, if you pitch for one hour somebody i mean it's gonna make no sense so there is there is uh, there is a way of uh, delivering information that has fortunately it uh, we have references, right? So storytelling has been working for how long, 10, 20,000 years, right? Mm-hmm. So we can uh, pick uh, some um, elements from this field and uh, put it into uh, the way we are communicating and, and uh, information essentially. So here now, this, this year, but also last year, uh, a demo day, a pitch day. You have uh, companies pitching for three minutes, and we know that there is also the elevator pitch, right? It's uh, less one minute or less. But I would say that three minutes is becoming really, uh, really typical. And then we have mm-hmm. the five minutes format, and these are very short times for <laughs> a short interval of times for for yeah. for many of the startups uh, we work with. They're trying to enter the U.S. So we. we so just to just to just to reorganize the narrative from one hour into three minutes—it's—it's it's a decent work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's a, that's a serious activity. I mean, that's a serious activity.
1: <laughs> that's yeah, incredibly
0: yeah, yeah. challenging. I mean, it, it, I mean, and I think for folks like you and and other folks who do this kind of work, I mean, so. I always, you know, when they say entrepreneurship or business, you know, it's art and science, right? And I think um, we sometimes get caught up in the science, which is important because there's a lot of tools that you can kind of use to say, here's the structure for how to do things. But when you understand the art, right, the art of storytelling, then... It becomes much simpler to go, oh, right, if this is the of, if this is the goal of storytelling, then this is what I want to get across. And then I can then take that and drill it down. But if I think I'm going to shove this into a structure, it's a much harder process, right? You have to kind of do it from the other side, in a sense.
1: Yeah. And, and but at the end of the day, I mean, everything makes sense. This, this approach really makes sense. If you, start, if you start your work by understanding the audience you're talking to, uh, everything else comes uh, very natural, and and it's, so it's a skill that you have to train. And the skill is to be uh, empathetic about somebody, yeah. which means understanding the reactions. Are they following what I'm saying? Are they getting bored? Is it something that interests them? I'm using. I'm, am I using two technical words over here? Yeah. I'm spending too much time on these diagrams, uh, things yeah. long to be understood. Uh, so it, it's really about, of course, understanding the values of your business, but also understanding, really deeply understanding who you're talking to, and if if you are able to be both uh, to develop both kind of empathies, uh, and and then that's how you you're successfully communicating your ideas. There are so many ideas. I mean, so many interesting concepts, interesting solutions, but uh, communicating it uh, it is. It's it's a very difficult uh, task, and sometimes I would say that language. Uh, you you study this, I guess. Language is not the way we are talking; it's also many other things. So it, it's really about that design process of it, uh, the iteration process. I mean, where you go through and you try to refine your concept, your ideas, and uh, and and then also the way you're talking about it. Uh, it's it's all interlocked. It's all, it's all part of the same mechanism. And that's what gets me really excited. Uh, It's not just the business aspect of it. It's actually, it's, um, uh, it's studying humans.
0: Yeah. Yeah, No, I mean, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, so and I have a quick caveat question here just for the program, because you did mention a whole bunch of different things. And it's, so just, it's a platform. So and you, I know you said so you also work with governments. So, is it is it a paid platform? Everyone pr- pays to participate, or do you have like a spread of stuff where some things are like subscription, some things are one off, some things are are free, and they're they're like, or some things are equity, like because you have a couple of different programs, and I know you're also an investor now as well. Yeah. Uh,
1: so, um, yes. So the for 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 example, the program I mentioned before for pre-product market feed. So very very mm-hmm. early stage. Uh, the easiest way. Um, I put it together as a membership. So there is a fee um, that sometimes gets discounted, but it's there's a fee, a monthly fee, and founders um, uh, joined our platform uh, paying the monthly fee. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't offer it in this way unless I was really sure that the value we're offering is much right. more than the fee we're asking. So when they join the platform, it means that they have access to all of our material material that is recorded so it's yeah. more than I other I didn't count it anymore but it's definitely more than a 100 hours of sessions recorded mm-hmm. with mentors investors and more uh, they have access to our programs there are uh, recorded and live there are uh, teaching and coaching about um, how to put together the pitch deck mm-hmm. how to build an investor funnel how to talk to investors um, the different stages of an interview, uh, how to build your value. So everything that a founder will need to know if uh, they're building a deck, which is basically mm-hmm. your business model. <laughs> and uh, so that, that's uh, that's something. That's uh, and then we have even uh, one million dollar perks uh, out of our uh, partners, um, mm-hmm. CRMs and you know cloud computing and all of that. For the founders um and then we do have uh, other accelerator programs that are more like um intense so for example mm-hmm. our see the proceed is 60 hours of coaching in eight weeks which mm-hmm. means it's about i don't remember six uh, six eight hours a week of coaching which is right. a lot of hours right so mm-hmm. we can only work with the uh, certain founders there are mm-hmm. have the time that understand what is that we want to work on with them mm-hmm. and uh and often uh, they have to add, they have to understand that um, this is uh, this is a process this is a de- development process. If they are if they don't see them, let's say they visualized what is the next stage for their startup. It's also about what is their next stage, almost yeah. personally, right? So if they don't see this one as a sort of a learning experience, it's it's hard to work with them, yeah. right? So if somebody comes and they already know everything, they don't need us, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not about knowledge, right? Uh, that's why the coaching um, and then that one that these programs succeed and precede uh, and growth stage uh, could be uh, could be out of a fee, very simple fee, or it could be mm-hmm. equity. So we, we are open to negotiate that with the founders. And then we do a lot of, uh, to be sustainable, we do a lot of uh, programs with governments. Mm-hmm. um equity fund so essentially for the for the investors we do um an accelerator program that it's it's de-risking the investment which is essentially helping the startups and improving their uh, their value proposition uh, making sure that everything is like it's a sort of a due diligence but mm-hmm. for like an accelerator program and it helps mm-hmm. the investors to decide who to invest in Mm-hmm. And th- these are paid by the VCs, right? Yeah. These programs are paid by the VCs. And then we have the programs paid by the governments or other public offices that are, uh, I mean, government offices that they are... Uh, typical accelerator programs uh, but our programs right our approach yes. so it's typically between uh six weeks and 12 weeks depends on the requirements and uh we essentially do pretty much the same things so the, then we have to customize it based on is it a go-to-market Is is a soft la- soft landing in the us is it a go-to-market is it a pre-seed? we have a lot of seed and precede uh with the government and actually we have also a lot of um um uh, let's say companies that are doing scale up which their first step is to work on their decks which gives mm-hmm. us you were mentioning that before gives us the opportunity to work in their business models essentially yeah. just by you know starting yeah, like, with the SQS of how did you communicate how do you talk about your business and then we get into the, the business aspect. <laughs> right.
0: then you're like what's your problem <laughs> what's your solution <laughs> what do you have to talk about yeah and then, the, and then that's the kind of the entry into it and so and so Okay. So that's really super helpful. So you kind of run the spectrum in terms of like supporting the, what I always say, supporting the founder journey, which is a lot of the work that I focus on is how do you start from soup to nuts to support them and, and the ecosystem that's really supporting them as well. And so when it comes to the government programs that you're running, mm-hmm. um, we'd love to understand, you know, what are they looking for? And there's a, you know, there's a, a lot of What I'm seeing is US deployed programs that other countries are engaging with to help facilitate and stimulate their innovation economy. What are you seeing in terms of that market? Because, I mean, even in the US, the government probably is like the number one funder of innovation. We kind of forget that. But there's so much other money here, we kind of don't think about it as much. In other countries, it's really the government that's funding innovation. Um, You want to just talk me through a little bit about your experience working with governments and kind of what are they looking at? How are they selecting and what are they working on in terms of innovation?
1: um it's very my experience is really diverse I I work with governments that uh just because a mandate they know they have to spend in innovation but the managers uh, are a bit behind and so if they if we're able to build a relationship based on trust then they follow our lead Right, the, And the other governments, they have more experience and they, um, they're really investing billions of dollars uh, in innovation. They understood that startups are going to be a great resor- resource for their economy, uh, to diversify their economy. Uh, think about uh, there are many governments there are um, the economy of course is mainly driven by large corporations but they also have to look at the uh, longer terms right so they have to diversify their economy and, and investing into small businesses that are driving more innovations and there are many ways of seeing this one but that's this is what is happening today I mean startups are really driving the innovation and uh, and so these governments are looking for um, opportunities, different things, I would say. So one is to support their uh, growth stage uh, startups in expanding because nowadays, unfortunately, many times uh, the uh, a local ecosystem of a country is not big enough to support uh, a company that is growing, right? So a company mm-hmm. needs a larger market, uh, mm-hmm. simply put. Uh, I'm thinking about also many startups in Italy that are uh, expanding in Europe or worldwide, right? So those situations, uh, we we help uh, the startups into the growth phase. So they're looking for this kind of value, added value. And then, of course, uh, the, the network is always an easy uh, value um, to uh, provide uh, in integrated in these programs. But I would say also, I'm, I'm saying it's easy because it's not the, it's actually the easiest piece of for example m accelerator uh the the actual the intrinsic work so the coaching and understanding the businesses and supporting the founders is it's the, is the real job that uh, most times is, is not understood <laughs> by the, the whoever is committing the job right but this is um those so there are other there are also Economies—they're—they're they're looking at uh, what is happening in California, of course. Silicon Valley is, is huge as a great re- resonance around the world. So they're—they're they're looking at the—the the way. Uh, we do business here and they're trying to import in some way some form uh the same uh, the same parameters the same um, mindset the same modalities and definitely the, the experience that, that uh, we have here in california in northern california it's great in terms of business uh it's greater in sense of in the sense of there's more maturity the market is way more mature uh everybody here is 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 running I mean uh, I've seen this one in Los Angeles right everybody is running a startup. right (laughs) looks like uh like 20 years ago everybody was writing a script Uh, today Mm -hmm. everybody is putting together a pitch so Mm -hmm. and and so you know the governments are looking at this and they also wanna 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 have their startup ecosystem improving um Mm -hmm. by uh, assimilating or by uh, absorbing some of the experience that uh, this, this country has essentially.
0: Are, are you seeing in other countries a lot of kind of foundational and I'm going to use this term in, in the inappropriate structure here, but in like a first principle way in terms of like this is core and foundational to what the country might need. I, I think a lot about the U.S. when we have consumer tech, we have a lot of widgets and consumption stuff that is uh, highly profitable but not that maybe uniquely intrinsically valuable and then we have things that are happening in health tech or biotech or fintech or um, climate tech and and some of them have real material um, impacts um, positively in the world and some are just also really cool, we have the Ubers right, and so when a government's thinking about how do I bolster this ecosystem, what are they really talking about? Are they just like, we just want more activity so that we become an innovation hub, which draws more interest and young people to the city and just like builds better economy? Or are we thinking we actually have some real problems we want to solve? Like, what is the conversation really about?
1: When... Um it's 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 a little bit about everything you mentioned there are some governments that they are aware of um the the, the um, um, let's say the ecosystem is not growing or um certain uh, the age the age, average age is declining so they have policies where and they are deploying initiatives where they are importing startups from the US or from other places right so the, it's vice versa it's a different it's a different uh, uh, journey and um and other, other most I would say that uh the the relationships that we have like I mentioned before they are becoming aware of uh different needs and so they are allocating resources to like I mentioned clean tech of course Everybody's talking about AI, so they want to also locate resources towards AI, but so AI, but to solve what problem, which problem, right? So everybody's kind of aware hoping that this AI is going to be the holistic thing that is going to solve everything. But at at the end of the day, we want to be a little bit more specific, right? And there are some governments that are looking into healthcare, cybersecurity, uh, but I don't see clear mandates in specific sectors. I I see that uh, um, there is, depending on the geography and depending on the specific problem, they may lean towards uh, more like a vertical, like agri-tech. I hear from certain countries in, in Africa. Uh, or, uh, yeah, like healthcare in other countries. So, they, they, there's a little bit of everything. I think that running, a, I mean, uh, investing a, in innovation in a government, uh, it, it's really a, a huge um, job. And uh, there are so many verticals and sectors that needs to be supported.
0: Right. And, and so, you, more recently, and maybe I'm speaking here because maybe you were an angel investor as well, but I know you guys added an investment fund. Um, to M- an yeah. accelerator. And so how has that come about? And what do you guys invest in? So it
1: it's uh, you said the recent, and um, i and I needed to think about it because to me, it sounds like, <laughs> all this history, but it uh, was only 2021 if I'm not wrong. Uh, so in 2021 uh, with noble Dracon we decided to open an a, a fund associated to an accelerator. It was it was my first fund so uh, it was a lot of work, a lot of learning and we raised a small capital, a small amount of money and we invested into two of our uh, best teams in the accelerator and mm-hmm. uh, and that was it. Uh, in 2022 was already done the investment was deployed and and now we're working with these companies um we're work- now I'm working on another uh two initiatives uh, it's it's very early so it's not worth to talk about it but uh is uh it is it's gonna be my second experience so I hope that with this experience gained now uh I I would do a, a better job or a, definitely a larger um, um let's say fund Mm. Um, to, to distribute what, among the
0: companies, yeah. What has um, kind of, has anything surprised you yeah. as you put the investor hat on versus the founder hat, like and how you assess or think about companies or like what has changed for you now that you're an investor?
1: Um, so the fir- first time I started dealing with investors, I actually realized that they were people. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that the founders sometimes forget about it when they are starting uh, this journey. They, yeah. they forget. Okay. But these are, we are going to deal with other people, right? <laughs> Slightly different than uh, the typical founders, but they're still people. And um, um, I uh, it's, it's uh, again, I wasn't, uh, I was not extremely uh, surprised. I, I also like to explain things very clearly. I mean, uh, if somebody is an investor full time or is is investing seriously in uh, innovation, in startups, it's a way to have returns. It's a a business. It's a job. Right. So in many cultures, just because I'm exposed to uh, many internationals, still they're still struggling with understanding what investing means and often it's confused with uh, a little bit of donation which is mm-hmm. not a favor it's actually a deal that is going to be pro- profitable also for the investors so uh, many, many founders don't have this clear and even if they are clear it even if they are able to express it with words sometimes in their act or in their pitching or the way they are pitching and the way they are asking for the investment you notice that there's something that is not really clear there and um, so the, it's uh especially if you don't come from money or from vc the vc world if you come from being a founder building a company uh dealing with investors has always a lot of stress
0: um. well, yeah once someone knows your investor, it's like they go into automatic pitch mode and you're like that's not even how that works <laughs> and, and actually very rarely right and then- yeah, it,
1: <laughs> Yeah. At the end, we are like I said. I didn't say they're humans uh, by case uh, because at the end, among humans, we like to build relationships based mm-hmm. on trust. So that's what we should look for, right? As a founder or investors, we like we like to invest in founders that we can trust, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that, that's the foundation.
0: All right. What do you think? So maybe as we close out these last one or two questions here kind of just putting on your designer hat, um, you know, what do you think folks just are missing in this moment regarding the interconnection between tech and design? You know, where are they kind of getting it wrong? or they missing the point?
1: Um, I can answer this one. Let's see if this one is not clear, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Typically our best founders are designers. What I mean by saying that I means that by default, somehow, because their past work oh, experience—not necessarily work—they embraced the, the the iteration approach. So the, the approach that things are gonna be done by iterating on it. So they're building something. It doesn't have to be completely done. It's partially done. Let's see if it works. Let's see how how somebody reacts. I'm not saying putting in the market, but just do like a pilot to invite some friends, use wherever you built, and get some feedback and then go back and improve it. Right. And listen to the to the to the to your audience, essentially. So th- this is something um, there is still unknown <laughs> to the most, I would say. And uh, the, they're still founders tend to still be in their garage garage. He uh, away from the audience, and that doesn't help uh, because you're you, you don't know who you're you're solving the problem for essentially. Yeah. So many, this many. problem, this connection, right? This uh, founders audience problems. So it's uh, it's it's really important.
0: It, and, it's, and it's persistent. So many years ago, I was in a TechStars company um, called Lean Startup Machine. This is kind of when Startup Weekend was a thing, and Lean Startup Machine was thing. And Eric Ries was on the board. You wrote the book Lean Startup, and I read it. And I was working at a job and I was like, oh, I can use this to help. I was working to teach for America. I could help teachers to teach faster using iteration. From that, joined Lean Startup Machine, became a curriculum instructor. Actually did a couple of um, Lean Startup Machines in Milan. Um, oh, and um, and then became like a Lean Startup expert, was teaching and training on it. And today I still do. I work with a bunch of different accelerators and I do MIT, I-Corps, and all the different things. And, and, you know, it's funny, I think like... I started this about a decade ago. And so I'm like, okay, like it's a decade ago, like no one cares about customer discovery anymore. <laughs> and then I'm like, you right. And I'm in all these rooms I'm, doing, I'm, I'm, I'm working with these accelerators. I'm, you know, doing a couple of ones in, in, in Techstars and the ones in LA here and, um, a couple others, and it's still the conversation, mm-hmm. the conversation is still like, who's your customer? And I think the challenge with it is, is that they, they really don't use a scientific method when talking to customers, right? They, they just kind of say, I talked to 10 people. Or I talk to 100 people, and I'm like, but yeah. if you don't have the answer to the question you're trying to solve for, then you, it wasn't really a meaningful conversation. And walking people through kind of what I consider to be like contextual, like get your get your get the frame of what you're dealing with, like but even like problem validation, solution validation, design validation, is a pilot. Um, there's really like a science to customer discovery um, that people just really miss, right? That that, that it's not just like I ha- I talked to 10 people, so now I'm done, check it off the list. It's really how you build things today and be relevant to your customer in perpetuity
1: yeah it's it's um, it's um it's it's a science in the sense that it's a, re- a path to discover the truth uh, mm-hmm. and uh but what what is more difficult i believe is the process it's a really an engineeristic process so it, there's a method there's a process and you have to be uh very rigid and sure. you know uh with a certain uh, righteousness on being really structured on the process because if you miss that um, you're losing data data doesn't make any sense it's it's extremely difficult to get to for example product market feed just by running tests unless you have a very solid and structured approach
0: well, I think and that's what people kind of miss, which I think is why the educational programs, I think there's a lot of yeah. like mixed conversation about like what should be free and paid, but structure, there's a there's really a value to structured learning, which I think a lot of the paid programs um, for startups uh, include, because you really do need to identify your assumptions, manage against your biases, look at the data from the responses, see which ones align with yeah. you, see which ones actually don't, that you just like because you like them and you know all that different stuff to work through to, okay, that's... That's a moment of clarity. I can kind of hang my head on that to make the next best decision that I'm gonna make and then iterate again and it's it's, it's rigorous. Yes,
1: (laughs) rigorous was the word that I was searching for actually. (laughs) And
0: and it's not, and it's not,
1: uh, and um, something I I think that we should add is that it's not something that you can read on a book, unfortunately, because otherwise we would have read that book, everybody, right? Uh, Building a business would have been much easier but it's really measuring those improvements and getting the right feedback and the right level of clarity because each one of us is working in a different way and this is actually the main motivation behind the coaching approach instead of just uh doing lessons Uh, i really believe that uh, coaching helps uh it's first of all it's it's more engaging it's something that i like more than just teaching and uh, it's, it's uh, the, the best of the interactivity between in, in the, within the cohort, right? It creates really a good interactive environment. But uh, coaching is really uh, helping our founders into uh, uh, deconstructing whatever is is they're working on, understanding all the elements, clarifying all of these elements, and then you're giving them the map you're giving back that map of clarity mm-hmm. because it's going to be their choice right yeah yeah and it's, there's no right or wrong choice so if, if everything is clear that it's often a few choices
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the thing right it's like taking all the noise and sometimes i think you know, and having being a founder myself and having built things in the past and you get caught up in the startup swirl and it's like it's it's you know fail fast it's it's, just, it's kind of like this run to a brick wall kind of thing and ship early and um, and not everyone can really do that from an expense perspective, but it's also not always the, the, I think the, strong, the best founders really understand the dynamic like they know signal versus noise ratio. They understand like when is it time to push, when's time to chill, and being strategic even if they're going to run is like an important part of that puzzle. And so I often, connect with founders where I'm like, if you're so urgent right now, this is already not the right time because you're, you, you've you lost the sensibility mm-hmm. of making good judgment and good decisions because you're in, you're in fight or flight. <laughs> you're like, you're running yeah. so hard that you kind of can't take the minute. And so I think that's some of the challenges with the ecosystem is that when you build an ecosystem, you start to build all these new players who participate with varying degrees. So the, you democratize access, but you also flood it with noise, right? And so it's, it's like a new problem that shows up uh, by having kind of all the activity, which is net good, but just a kind of a different a different list of hurdles to jump through, maybe.
1: You're actually right. Actually, Scott Hindle, which is our lead business program, often says uh, we should be calling it decelerator. <laughs> <laughs> really?
0: It's like chill out. A hundred percent. It's like chill out. And I think that's and 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 you know, there's just yeah, I think people are looking for ways to create, right? And I always tell people like, it doesn't matter what you build, you know, you, you think something with your thought and you do something with your hands. We're all creators, right? Whatever you create. And I think part of that is when you realize that some of the urgency goes away because it's like, oh, right. I always have this uh, this muscle, this ability to create something new, to create something when I need to create it, to create what I want to create. And so I don't have to run so hard at this one thing and hold it like this. I can be looser with it, right? I no. so, and I can get to the same place. Um, uh, so with that being said, I want to just kind of close out with a final question. You had an artic- article in a, a little while ago, but it was in Shoutout LA. And you said, to bring M-Accelerator at this stage took a lot of work, many iterations, and a lot of learning. But as I have said before, we are at the beginning. So if this is the beginning, what's, what's next?
1: So actually, it's strange, but I still feel we're at the beginning. I don't know if because because we are still at the same point. No, we're not, but uh, I don't know. It's a strange feeling. We're always at the beginning. But uh, yeah, for the next, uh, I would say, year, we are looking at an expansion in Europe, eventually opening our first office. And we were already planning that before COVID, then everything stopped. And uh, now we're uh, going back on, uh, let's say, that plan of opening uh, the first office uh, in Europe. So that's going to be one of the two elements. The second element, it uh, will be to open a serious VC fund that is going to, uh, uh, let's say, work in conjunction with an Accelerator.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. What? That's wonderful. So, yeah, so we'll keep an eye out for when you launch in Europe. It'll be really exciting. Um, and, and if anyone uh, watching this at any point on the, podcast or on YouTube or whatnot, send any questions over, I'm happy to send them over to Alessandro as well. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and any closing words before we jump off?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully uh, you find it useful. Um, I'm, I'm always really transparent. Uh, I'm open, always open to talk about all aspects of our business. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be really transparent also when we work with founders about their businesses. So uh, like uh, Dominique said, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm always uh, excited to work with founders. So with creative people and it's, it's always inspiring for me as well.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you everyone for watching Accelerator Insider and until next time. Bye, bye everyone.
1: Thank you.